Okay, here we go. Uh, welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is the audio from Sunday morning, September 23rd, 2023. Our sermon time, our worship time, the whole service was weird and different. And that's because we had a big announcement to make. We didn't want to dodge it. We didn't want to ignore it. We made it a part of our time of worship together. We uh, fused the scriptures and teaching into that thing, but it was a big announcement. It's about the future of our church, about Tom, about me, and about all of us together. So um, you're about to hear all about it. Uh, Buckle up. So this, this morning is going to be a little different than normal, and you are now about to enter into the public announcement of probably the worst kept secret in Oak Ridge. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a band, and it was, it was the 90s, so we had a violinist, like Dave Matthews' band. And we would go over to, I would go over to the violin player's house and hang out over there and stuff, and it turned out that, that the people that rented that house right before this group of guys... These college-age guys completely destroyed that house. Was Tom and Tina Job and their kids, and it, that house. If you go up New York and turn right on Outer Drive, and it's the second little house on the right. In that living room is where Christ Community Church was started in 1996, um, and so that was, you know, all those years ago. And um, I think when I started coming here, I think. I, if I've done the math right, I think Potsy was 46 and Tom was 47. And, um, and now uh, we have lived a lot of life together and done a lot of ministry together. So some of you know this already because maybe you've been in a conversation. Some of you know this because you've been walking with us alongside this. But today we are formally announcing that over the next year, between now and August, we are transitioning some in our leadership. And Tom who has definitely earned it, is moving toward whatever retirement for Tom Job looks like. <laughs> so somebody was talking to me about this, and they said, I don't know why you think or anybody thinks he's ever going to stop going 1,000 miles an hour. He's going to bury all of us. Um, but um, just so we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning, and if you feel a little tender, a little emotional about that, just know that this is a long runway. We have a long time for questions and conversations. You can talk to me, you can talk to our staff, you can talk to Tom, obviously, or our elders with questions, anything like that. We are going to take this slow. We love you, we want to do this well, and uh, can you guys, so we're going to split this time talking about this this morning, so can we please give a really, really warm reception for our pastor, Tom Thank you, everyone. So um, I wanted to tell you guys before I start that there are um, 91 days till Christmas, and but there are 317 days until my birthday. And so I, I normally don't care about that, but um, so my, uh, gosh, I, I remember one time when we were in Italy, my mom called it a quarter to midnight, and she said, happy birthday, and Tina and I had both forgotten it was my birthday. But this, but this birthday, well, the reason I'm counting the days till this birthday is because I've been... Oh, gosh, I've been doing it since 1980. But um, So when I was 20, my life was kind of falling apart. And I dropped out of UT, and I went to California, and I met Jesus 
the first week. I met Tina the next week. We got married in eight months. I didn't know either one of them very well. And then we, but it was just, Jesus was perfect for me and he picked the perfect person for me. So we came back here and then um, I just wanted to know the Bible. And so um, we were able, I, I finished up at UT. It took me seven years. And then we went to, um, we went in January 1st, 1980, I was able to go to Theological Seminary in Indiana because I wanted to learn about the Bible. And I got a job. We live in a trailer park that was full of seminary students. They called it the Fertile Crescent because everybody was pregnant there all the time. We were too. We went there with one and a half kids and came home with three. But, um, but I had to work in that. So I worked full time in a, in a grocery store, like about 40 hours a week and go to school 40 hours a week. And so, I mean, full time too. So that first semester, I took a class in, um, in missionary studies, and they talked about the fact that they talked about all the great missionaries who had lived for Jesus and died for Jesus. And I was like, what? People have died for this. And how there are whole countries where nobody knows about Jesus. And I was like, what? There are whole countries where nobody knows about Jesus. And then I was taking a class in the book of Psalms, and we studied the 90th Psalm. And the 90th Psalm says um, that... We come from dust and we're going to return. If Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to return to dust and we're all going to die at, at some point and our life is going to be over and we're going to turn into dust again. It's already kind of happening because 70% of the dust in your house is human cells. So, you know, so after fall break, when the kids are no longer laying around the house, they kind of will be. So, but, so you only have one life. And, and it says that it's very short, and it gets over really quick, and it does get over really quick. And, you know, somebody said, by the time your face clears up, your mind gets fuzzy. Oh. So, I mean, I remember years ago, I looked down at my hand, and I had those brown, those, like, old people spots that my granddad had. And this, you know, the spots that bananas get. So I figured if, I, if human years were measured in banana days, I'm about three and a half days old. So if I, if I ever wake up and I have little fruit flies flying all around me, I'll be ready to, ready to kick it. But so, but, and the, so that psalm says, you know, all things being equal, you live to be 70 or maybe 80. But, you know, you can, if you don't get hit by a trick or whatever, you can kind of count on 70, being 70 years old. And then he said, but you just have a few days. And so teach us to count our days in verse 12, that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And it's just like you only have one life. It's very, very short. And you need to, you need to, this is all you get. These are all the days you get. You need to live for something that really, really matters. And um, at that time, I counted a professor. He said he counted how many days he had till he was 70, and he counted them off. And at that time, I had 16,267 days until I would be 70, and now I have 312. And so um, I just I went, I, I just felt like we, this is our only life. I told Tina this is our only life, and I'm learning about missionaries, and you know, I would go to school all morning, I would run home, I would slam fold these food down as fast as I could, and then go to work, because I had to be at work, and I just came home and I said, we only have one life, it's really short, can we be missionaries? And she said, 
great, great, yeah, we can do that. So every, every where, every place I read about, I was like, well, I want to be a missionary there. Maybe we could be a missionary there. I come from home from school and just slam my food down and say to Tina on my way out the door to work, hey, what about Africa? Africa's great. Okay, so that'd be great. So then the next week, I'll, what about Mexico? Oh, Mexico's great. So then in 1982, we got accepted to the U.S. Center for World Missions in San Diego for a summer thing with, with what had formerly been the China Inland Mission. And we were going to... Uh, because we were planning on being missionaries to the Laotian people who lived in tree houses in the jungle in Laos. So we were going to go to San Diego, but Tina was pregnant. We were going to have, we'd have a baby right in the middle of that. And so they said, why don't you do it next summer? So we said, okay. In the meantime, I got thinking about it. And I got learning about Europe and how, oh, man, they need missionaries in Europe. I thought maybe we would be better off in Europe because... Um, missionaries in the jungle, they have that, you know, like they can take a galvanized tub and some tubes and have solar-powered hot water in like half a day. And that was when they were bringing in self-service gas stations. And I was struggling with that. So I thought maybe, maybe I'm not really the guy for the jungle, you know. So we thought about Europe. And I came home one day, you know, after school and after, before work. And I said, what about Italy? Oh, Italy sounds great. So I got the idea that I wanted to teach in a school called uh, the Greater Europe Mission in, um, in Rome, Italy. So I had to transfer from the school I was at, which was a three-year degree to get a four-year theological degree. So I, I and I got accepted to Dallas Theological Seminary. I came home from school. I told Tina, hey, I got accepted at Dallas. Great. Does that mean we're moving to Dallas? Yeah, we're moving to Dallas. See you later. And then, I, and then the next day I was at the library and there was a guy there who was a PhD student and he was a missionary in Italy. And, and he said, how's it going? I said, great, I just got accepted to Dallas. Why are you going to go to Dallas? He said, I said, because I want to teach at the Greater Europe Mission School. He said, no, you don't. He, I said, I don't. He said, no, I teach there twice a year. It doesn't really work. There's only 12 students. 11 of them are from Switzerland. It's, it's just, I said, what do I do? He said, come help us. And I said, what do you do? We lead people to Jesus, and then we train them to be like Jesus, like to follow his example, to follow his teachings, and we build them into a community because everybody in the world needs Jesus, but they'll want him when they see him in people who love him. And I thought, I went home and told Tina, we're not going to Dallas. And she said, we're not? I said, no, I'll talk to you about it later. So, but anyway, we wound up, so we wound up, that's all I knew is that I wanted to give my life to go to Italy and to build a community of people who had come to know Jesus and who wanted to follow his teachings and an example because everybody needs Jesus, but they'll, they'll want him when they see him in people who love him. And I didn't know what it was gonna take to build a community of people like that. But when I got there, you know, we learned the language and all that stuff, and then they put us, we were in Milan, which is, Milan is about as big as Oak Ridge, like from Elzegate to Wisconsin Avenue, you know, it's about 10 miles across. And it's about 2.3 million people, so, and the number of people there who knew Jesus as their savior was 0.04%. So four people out of 10,000 is about as low as anywhere in the world. So they put me with a couple of guys. We got on a team and we were gonna go on the Northeast side of Milan and start a community like that. And and I said, how are we going to do this? And they had trained with these British people and they said, we're gonna go on the street. It's kind of like being street performers and we're gonna, um, we're gonna tell people about Jesus by being kind of street performers. 
And I said, well, I don't really, I really believe you have to build a bridge, you know, to their life and earn the right to be heard. They said, you'll get over that. So they said, so we'd go out there in the street between nine o'clock at night and midnight in the center of Milano and do this stuff. And you'd get a crowd of maybe eight people and then you'd start telling them jokes and stuff. And before it would turn into 40 people, 80 people, 140 people, 250 people listening to you do kind of a young life talk, tell a bunch of jokes and then talk about Jesus and tell them why their life is so messed up and why Jesus came to die for them and rose from the dead and what he offered to give them and you'd have 250 people standing there at a quarter to 12 like they paid you $30 to listen to it and one thing I learned from them is that in order to build a community to lead people to Jesus you needed to be bold because people are more interested in hearing about Jesus than we are talking about it so another thing that I did during that same kind of time, that first kind of couple of years that we were there, there was an English language church in Milan, Italy. Most European cities have one. And this one had been started by a guy who worked in Switzerland named Francis Schaefer, but it was kind of dying and it turned about eight, eight or 10 people on a Sunday night. And they were gonna close it. And me and Al Nucironi, who was here a couple of months ago, we liked it, so we kept it open. We decided we'll keep it open. Well. There was a Filipino guy that started coming who led us to a group of Filipinos that were meeting in a city park. They were undocumented immigrants, but their, the Philippines was collapsing, it was chaotic. And so they were, and there was a guy named Nestor, and he was so, so sweet. And he was kind of leading this group in this park. And we kind of, so then he would ask me to preach to them. I would go out there, and then they came, they started coming to the English language church, and Nestor wanted to start a fellowship for Filipinos, the Filipino fellowship on Wednesday night. And I said, great, let's do it together. So he and I did it, and the first night it was Nestor and a guy named Sonny, and Sonny didn't know Jesus, and so we led him to Jesus. So 50% of the people at the Filipino fellowship on the first night accepted Jesus, and then the next week it was four, the next week it was eight, the next week it was 20, the next week, and so in two months, that church went to about 120 people. But one thing about, I learned about Nestor, who was a great shepherd of that community, was that he was so kind. He was so humble and so sweet and so kind. And I thought, okay, to have a community like this, you have to have boldness and you have to have kindness. And one of my partners was doing, had started a Bible study in, an, in a dorm for international students on the northeast side of town. It was actually a dump for international students. And they were all Middle Eastern students. They were from Jordan, Syria, and Egypt, and Lebanon. And so I started helping him. There was a guy, there was a guy named Antoine. And Antoine was a Lebanese graduate student. And he accepted Jesus Christ and became a part of our a community that we were starting of Italians. And one thing I learned about Antoine, and we started to gather, get a bunch, like a lot of Arab Christians, a lot of them, they were undocumented, but they had had to escape persecution, and that's why they were in Milan for a lot of reasons, and because they were starving and all of that stuff. And um, they started coming to our church, and Antoine, and they wanted a church of their own in the Arabic language because a lot of them didn't speak Italian. So Antoine and I kind of started that together. And one thing I learned, one thing I learned about the Arabic culture and about Arabic people and especially Arab Christians is they dress with dignity, they worship with dignity, and they treat other people with great dignity in a way that communi communicates to everyone you're a person of infinite value to me. 
And like Arab, I always, I just love that about them, the way they communicated. Arab, so like Arabs, I remember during the coronavirus, like Italians, they're always kissing each other and hugging each other, and we're always hugging each other and shaking hands. And when you can't really do that, what do you do? But Arabs, uh, when, they, when they meet you or when they greet you, they say hello and they quietly touch their heart. And it's just a way of saying, you're in my heart. And it was such a beautiful greeting during that time when you couldn't hug and kiss and all that stuff. And I learned that to have a community, you have to have boldness and you have to have kindness and you have to have dignity. You have to treat everyone with dignity and communicate to everyone that they're important. And then, so there was a kid, there was a guy, he accepted the Jesus one night, he was from Sicily in Milan and he was in the fashion design business. And he had just quit his job because he had a lot of disappointments about that whole world. And he heard a message one night about 11.30 on the streets of Milano about a God who loved you and doesn't want anything but to love you. And he accepted Jesus Christ and he began to grow. And he was so crazy. We were just talking this morning. But he was crazy. He was, just, he was so fun. We had so much fun. So I used to draw up these little flyers that talked about Jesus with comics on them. And we'd print 10,000 of them. And he and I would go out on the streets and we would hand them to people. We had so much fun. Like we would walk down the street and we'd both go, bam. Like he'd go this way, I'd go this way. Or we'd cross arms and give it to people like that. Or he would do this Michael Jackson spin and just give it to someone. He would moonwalk and give it to people. We would just laugh and had so much fun. And I learned that if you're going to build a community, you have to have boldness, you have to have kindness, you have to have dignity, and you have to have fun. And so when our daughter Mary got ready to come to the United States, and our daughter, they, our kid, two kids had been in missionary in a missionary kid school in Germany. We had two kids at home and Val would have gone there. And we knew we would never, we would never have our kids under one roof again. So that's when we came home. And, and um, because our kids had never really lived here, they came home from school the first day and they said, oh my gosh, they do the weirdest thing. And I said, what? He said, well, before school starts, they put their hand over their heart and they say this prayer to the flag of America. And they were, I was like, no, well, okay, it's not, that's not really what it is. They were like, it was so weird. I mean, they just didn't grow up like that. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, um, so uh, Jim McNamee told me, uh, a lot of you know Jim, but he said, I think Oak Ridge needs a church. I said, I think Oak Ridge has a hundred churches. And he said, everybody I know goes to church in Knoxville. So I had a friend named Darnell, Darnie and Eric, and he was a grad student at UT. He was on the worship team at Fellowship Church, but he wanted to be a worship leader. And they had come to visit us in Italy. And we got, I was talking about this at McNamee, he said that Oak Ridge needs a church. And Darnie wanted to be a worship leader. And so we looked at each other and I said, Darnie, if you'll do it, I'll do it. And he said, said, okay, let's do it. And so that's basically, um, that's how we started. And then McNamee and I were running one day. And he said, hey, do you know, you don't know anything about Young Life? I said, no, I don't know anything about it. He said, well, we're getting a new Young Life area director. He's young and he's very gifted. He's a little rough. I think he needs a big brother. I said, okay, I got you. And so we invited Bill and Maria Rees over for lunch. <laughs> and, we, and we just became like just super close friends, like right off the bat. And Bill started roping me into Young Life, like inviting me into stuff and asking me to be hood leader at a weekend camp. I'd never been anything like it. 
But it was the greatest thing I had ever seen. And when I watched Bill and I watched how, how he did it, and I watched how he could make kids laugh and how it was full of laughter. And one time they did the skits thing down at Sharp Top for a week, Bill and his buddy Scott, and they borrowed a, a, tr a tractor trailer from Bill Adderson, who could recondition them, drove it down there, and they were going to be truck drivers. So the bus would come on, the first time the bus came in, did the sharp top with all the kids. Bill and Scott are these truck drivers pulling, driving this truck right alongside the bus. Bill's sitting on a fruit box because there wasn't a, a seat in the passenger side. Scott hits the brakes, Bill's head hits the windshield, and spider webs the whole thing. I mean, I've seen Bill jump on a stage doing, doing program the very first thing that he had to do, and you could hear his ACL pop, and he did the whole thing with broken. One time he had a stomach virus. He was up on the stage. It was one of those bad ones dressed in a tennis outfit and they were shooting tennis balls at him out of a tennis ball machine. And I was just praying he didn't, that he wouldn't make a memory that they would never forget like up on the <laughs> stage. But, but I, when I watched the laughter and I watched the tears and I watched Bill take 20 kids from Oak Ridge High School to Italy to sleep in pup tents for a, a month to reach military kids who were doing young life camp at a biggest military base that we had. And I just thought, I learned that in order to have a community, you have to have, you have to have boldness, you have to have kindness, you have to have dignity, you have to have fun, and you have to have passion. And you have to be passionate about what you're doing. So anyway, I'm only supposed to go, I, could, I, I need three more minutes. But darn, so Darnell, so Darnie and I are starting this church. And my son had a friend named Lee. They were roommates at UT and stuff. And Lee was extremely talented. Darnie called him Little Ale. And Darnie, so, and Lee, he, he was in a band, he had a ponytail, blah, blah, blah. He was, he had, but he had lots and lots, he had lots and lots of talents, musical talents. And so Darnie started teaching Lee how to do worship. But Darnie was African American. So when we started our church, the two people on staff, our church was 50% African-American, 50% white. It was actually more than that because Darnie was about 6'2", and I'm 5'6", and so <laughs> it was really probably about 58% African-American and 42% white. But Darnie taught Lee how to lead worship. With, he was very groovy, and he taught Lee how to play the guitar with a certain groove. So that, so that the music we did was something other than Hillsong, you know what I mean? Wow. And so I was going out to the Anderson County Jail and there was a group of guys in a cell, about nine guys that had come to love Jesus and they, it, God really did something there and they would try to worship and one of the guys that led them was kind of country and so when they would sing songs, they would sing, will the circle be unbroken? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> No, it's about somebody's mother's funeral. That is not a worship song. And I asked Lee, would you come out there and just, just start to do some songs for them? And Lee started to come, and Potsy started to come, and Lee started, he started to, write, um, to write songs for them. You made my heart to know you and to love you. But from the start, I went my own way from you. I was a slave wrapped in the life that I had made. You came to save through your blood, death. You made a way. When I was dead, 
when I was your enemy. You came to save. You gave your life for me. Now I'm free. When you have like a room full of inmates who have from four to 40 years left on, that, on their Senate singing that song at the top of your voice. And so one thing that Lee did, so Darnie left and Lee became the worship leader here. And he just like, um, so he started to do work with Bill with Young Life. He got us all roped into it. And uh, I was talking to Bill Page last week and I said, so I was talking about Lee and I said, do you know that song? And when I run, and when I run from you so fast. He said, of course I know that. I said, Lee wrote it. He said, he did? They sing it all over the country. I said, I know, there's no name on it. Lee started to do things. And then he started speaking. Well, he started to do things. I played for him, Giacomo Puccini, like the opera, because I love it. And there's a part, there were certain parts where the tenors are singing one, the basses are singing a different melody and different words, the altos, the sopranos. And Lee said, I know what they're doing. It's just a chord progression. They're singing different melodies and different words in the same chord progression. And he started to write choral music for our church, which is, people don't know what it's the greatest. It's one of the greatest gifts that he has. But then he started to, he started to sing at Young Life Clubs. He started to speak at Young Life Clubs. And he was so good at it. And then here, you know, I was like, he was like talking every two months or, I mean, like every, maybe twice a year. And then I said, why don't you do four weeks in a row? And he started talking in Sunday and four weeks in a row. And it's like, it's a little tougher than once at a Young Life camp. But then a couple of years ago, why don't, we, why don't you do half of this? Um, so one thing that I learned is not only do you need um, passion to build a community, you need devotion. And devotion or consecration, what it means is you give all of yourself to Jesus Christ and he uses every gift you have. And um, so that's why I, you know, I'm old, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting, there's like our church has elders that lead this thing and Lee and I are Thomas, we're just one of them. We get to work full time. I don't really know why. We don't ask a lot of questions, but we just, <laughs> but, but there is a thing that I've always had here, which is I'm just one of the elders and all that. But in your heart, you're a mama bear. Like there's a place where I've always felt like a mama bear about this place. Like I have to defend the community here. I have to defend the community that we are. I don't want anyone to hurt it or anything like that. And you're also an EMT and when something happens and when somebody's life falls apart and when somebody's in the hospital, when somebody dies, you have to go. I don't care if it's Christmas, you have to go. And I've also been a person who always thinks and dreams about community and this community and how do we be a community and I can't stop talking about it or thinking about it. And it's time for me to pass that on. It's time for me to pass it to Lee because he is the person that God has raised up for that. So in the next 10 months, I'm gonna do, uh, you know, uh, 
he's going to let me preach something here, you know, and all that stuff. But, but also, and, and I have other things that I want to do. I want to help develop prayer here. I want to have more out, outreaches to people who need Jesus that I want to do. I'm reading and researching a lot of things right now, and I'm trying to spend a lot more time reading. I'm reading a lot. I'm going to tell you all this. I'm reading a lot about what the New Testament says about the role of women. In the New Testament, it may not be what they've always told me. Anyway, um, and I've asked Lee, how can I help you? Will you tell me what I can do to take it off your plate um, so that you can do what God has raised you up to do? So anyway, so now Lee, will you come? <laughs> Are y'all gonna sing something or? I think I took more than 15 minutes. <laughs> Fire me. So. Got a little bit of time left. Where'd he go? He's back there with his girl. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, we were, in a, we were in an elders meeting uh, a couple years ago, and it was right before the new year. I guess it was our December meeting or whatever, and only, only Tom and Brad and Potts knew that Potts was about to retire from, from here. And it was one of those deals where we had a lot of stuff on the agenda, and Brad goes, uh, Potts is retiring in January. And I collapsed emotionally for the rest of the night. I have no idea what we talked about. I, I, I needed like an IV by the end of it. It was, uh, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, we hardly ever talk about our church from up here. We don't really do that. We, we, uh, we feel like the time that we're together to worship is about Jesus. Feel free to say amen on that. Amen. About uh, growing in him, about getting ready for the week that we're about to live and figuring out how to love each other and, and forgive each other and all those kinds of things. So we don't ever talk about this place. We come here to do that. But that's not what we do during this time. We're doing that today in, in a way. And I mean, that's because one of the things that I felt was, you know, when, when I found out Potts was retiring, it's like I was just a disaster for the rest of the time. And I, I didn't get any other work done that night. And so I thought, if we're going to tell people, then let's talk about it. Um, so if I were you, and I were sitting in the red chairs and somebody was making this announcement and, and, and listening to some of, somebody stand up here and say this. The question that I would have, and by the way, I think it's perfectly okay for you to have this question, is what does this mean for me and for my family? That we come here and we're investing in this community and we're maybe even serving here and my, my kids are going here and they're going to grow up here maybe. What does, what, you guys are, what does this transition, this change actually mean for us? And I would say that the biggest answer probably to that question is, it depends. Because you see, in some ways, what we're doing here on Sunday morning, you might not notice that much of a change in that we've been, like Tom said, we've been kind of doing some transitional stuff behind the scenes at Christ Community and from up front at Triple C for quite some time. We have we have hired Maria Reeser, who has completely revitalized our children's ministry. And yes, feel free to say amen to that. And the whole way that we think about and execute the just, just telling kids about Jesus and showing them how to follow him. 
Um, and, you know, for over a couple years now, we, Thomas has come on full time to be our youth pastor. And all you have to do is look over there and listen to find out how great a job he's doing, by the way. And you see Thomas up here leading worship a whole lot more because I'm preaching a whole lot more, just like Tom said. In a, in a, in a lot of ways, some of this transitional stuff, in, in some ways it's like, well, it's maybe is not going to affect you all that much because we've been doing this for a long time. Like I said, my, our hope in this is not that we're, we're, we're not going to completely change what we do at Triple C or definitely who we are at Triple C. The idea is we're kind of changing lanes on a road that we've been on for almost 30 years, and we're going to keep on driving. We're going to keep on driving down the same road. We're going to have a long lane change. And like I said, we don't. The, the, the thing is, somebody asked me this week, so there's still a million questions you guys haven't answered. Yeah, I know. For one, it's, that's triple C. So, you know, you have to. <laughs> but two, that's why, we're, that's why we're going to have this long transitional period so that as questions come up, we can learn what the answers are together. Um, I, I am being completely honest. I never saw this coming. I didn't. I was just a hurting 17-year-old kid who had a lot of questions. And all the people that knew stuff about the Bible and the spaces that I was in in this religion didn't have time for me and didn't, wouldn't talk to me. And so I wound up finding Tom, and then I wound up finding this place, and then I, I came in and, and uh, started going here, and I met Potts, and I did meet... Darnell, and all of a sudden I had these men in my life, and I was, and, and then I had these friends in my life, and all these people who really were totally different than anybody I'd ever known before, and they loved Jesus, and they showed me who he was, and I started learning the scriptures, and I started playing worship songs, which I had been playing, you know, Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins. It's a completely different situation. <laughs> And then, and then before I knew it, I started writing worship songs. I didn't plan on any of that stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm learning scriptures, and I'm learning how to do hospital visits, and I'm learning how to talk to, to married people, and I'm learning how to talk to people about their kids, and then I'm leading Bible studies. And, and then we had three kids of our own, and all of a sudden, one of them's in college, and here we are. And like, it, like I really didn't plan on this happening. And I think for, for a lot of you guys, like, how is this going to affect you, well, you know, some of it depends on what your role is here. Some of it depends on what you want to do here. Because the truth of the situation is that for the past 30 years, between, the, between Tom and Potts, between the elders, um, those, there are decisions that get made and shots that get called. This is real ground level stuff now. By the way that, by, by the, the experiences in the heart that were in the man that was just talking up here. And so some things that we do, what he's going to do now is he's going to start laying that stuff down. And so me and other people in leadership are going to pick up some of those things. And there are going to be shots that we call and decisions that we make. And some of that's going to be behind the scenes. And you might know about it if you're involved in it. There's going to be delegation to people who are doing ministries and following Jesus and all that stuff. Because like he said over and over again, this isn't just that we're not just building a church for the sake of having a church. We are trying to have a community of believers in Jesus who are walking each other to heaven. That's what we're doing. That's what this is about. And so some of these things you're going to notice and some of these things you might not. Some of this may feel like a really, really smooth transition. And like I said, I didn't really, 
<laughs> you know, I didn't really know this was going to happen. And then all of a sudden we're here. Um, when I met these men and, and the women that were here and the people that I became friends with and everything, I think the, the things that I, weren't count, that I wasn't counting on, I didn't realize that I was going to find the sincerity that I found with, especially, um, that's the one thing that, um, and uh, I hate it when people say, I told myself I wasn't going to cry because I didn't tell myself that. I don't know why anybody tells themselves that. But um, the, the more that I got to know Tom, um, I realized, um, and this is just me being honest, I'd never been sincere about anything in my life. I was a gigantic fraud my whole life. It was just like, what do I have to do in any room to be where I want to be in that room? Um, and some of the people that grew up with me, you were on the bad side of that. And, and I hurt people. And, and one of the most startling things that happened to me when I actually started becoming close to both Tom and Potts was I was like, oh, you mean there are people who are really sincere and who mean what they say about everything that they do and think and believe? And that was a shocking thing to me. It's completely revolutionized my life. The other thing that happened was that I got a front row seat to a truly loving marriage. I didn't know that was a thing. Believe me, I didn't know that was a real thing. And so, um, and when I say front row seat, at a certain point in college, I was living in Cookville. Christy and I were going to Tennessee Tech, and this was when we were engaged, and we were still leading worship at Triple C. So we would drive in on Saturday afternoon, and we would spend the whole day on Saturday just eating all of Tom and Tina's food and sitting on their couch and whatever. We had control of the remote, and whatever it was they wanted to do, they never said anything. And we were staying up. Me and Charlie used to stay up and watch Saturday Night Live till the end, and Tom would come out a couple times and be like, guys, I have to work tomorrow, you know? But we didn't think a thing about it. But we did. I, Christy and I both got a front row seat to a marriage like we had never seen before, and it, and it completely revolutionized our lives. What's going to change for you? I think in some ways, some things are going to be different. I mean, for one thing, I can't speak Italian, so no Italian will be spoken <laughs> from sermons. And I can promise you this, you will never hear about the Atlanta Braves, like ever. That's the most I'll ever say that, ever. But in some ways, what I sincerely hope, what I sincerely hope is that in some ways, that some things never change about Triple C because what those people started in 1996 was a foundation and then they've built roots, in, roots into something that is truly unique and beautiful. And we don't, and, and what we want to do is cultivate it. We want to we get it in more and more hearts and minds and then we want to keep living it out so that more people can be served and more people can come to know Jesus and more people can be taken care of when they're hurting. All the things that are so beautiful about this place. So I can tell you this, here's what's not going to change. We're always going to give at least a fourth of our money straight out the door to Jesus and however he wants to use it with people who are serving him here and around the rest of the world. And you can say amen about that if if it's in you. We are always going to care more about people and knowing them and caring for them than we do about programs. We are always, always going to promote the building and the spreading of the kingdom of God rather than pumping up these facilities. And I mean, obviously you had to park here this morning somehow. <laughs> um, I wanted to 
I wanted to share a scripture with you. This comes from uh, Acts chapter 20, and it's my, it's just my heart for this place. Um, this is this was when Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. It's not really that appropriate. This, he said to them, he said, "This is the last time any of you will see my face." Paul was super dramatic, and th- that's not true in any of this situation with us. Um, but he said this. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Um, just a couple of things that, that out of that, and then I'm going to take my seat. Um, he says that we are a flock. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Over 400 times in the Bible, the, the scripture calls God's people sheep. Sheep are not that impressive as far as members of the animal kingdom go. They're not very fast. They're not that athletic. They don't have great defense mechanisms. Sheep thrive when they are in a flock. They don't do well on their own. We need each other. This place, we will always need each other. We need to carry each other's burdens. We need to pray for each other. We need to care for each other. When I'm having a terrible week, I need somebody in here who's having a really good one to carry me so that when you're having a terrible one, I can turn around and carry you, okay? We, we're a flock. We need each other. He says, uh, he says, keep watch or shepherd the church of God that he bought. This church was never Tom Job's church or Potts's church or Darnell's. Or, except to the extent that they go here. Like, where do you go to church? Oh, my church is that one up on top of the hill. If you, you know, you turn left at, at Big Ed's and then you um, go under the water tower. That's my church. Except in that sense, there is no other possessive sense of that word that makes any sense. This church will never be my church, except that I want to go here. I want to worship here. And I want to be in your life and part of your family. This church belongs to Jesus because he bought it. It's his. It never was Tom's. It never will be mine. It's Jesus's. And he bought it, not with really high standards, not with great proficiency and efficiency and incredible organization. He bought it with blood. And that's really important because sometimes I'm going to let you down and I'm going to need the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. And sometimes you're going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other. When you're in family long enough, you hurt each other. Isn't that right? Yes. And so we need the blood of Jesus to continue to, to, to give us what we need to be forgiven from him and to, be, and to learn how to forgive each other. Tom and I have been walking through these conversations with each other and with some other folks for a long time. And I'm not going to lie to you. This has been a really tender morning. But we've had some difficult conversations trying to figure some of this stuff out. And we have both a really wonderful thing, which is we both have the blood of Jesus. Right, brother? And we love each other. And so we've been able to walk through this. And we're going to continue to do it that way. This is a really sweet morning. And, um, and what I want to encourage you to do is to pray for us and to walk alongside us and to bring us your questions as we seek to find answers. And know that um, another thing that's never going to change is we consider it, whether we're, you know, at whatever capacity that we get to do this. We consider it an absolute privilege to get to be your pastors because we love you. Um, Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. And thank you that we did not start this. We did not create this. 
This is your church. You bought it, and you bought it with precious blood. We need each other. We need forgiveness so that we can continue to do this well. Thank you so much that we didn't make this up and that we are just a piece in a long line of folks who are trying to figure out what it means to be a community of people who love the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and are trying to follow the example of Jesus under the forgiving sweetness of the blood of Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live One, two, three.